Once again, my name is Keith Park. I'm really uh, happy to be here. I love Pastor Ulysses and Christine and um, have known them for a very long time, along with Kobe and I see Brian here as well and some some are old uh, Southland people here. Uh, today, I want to just talk about life, if I may. Um, I'm an old guy, not an older man anymore. I'm, I'm an old man, and um, in a year, I'm going to retire. And um, so uh, I just want to talk about life a little bit, and because the congregation uh, average age is younger uh, than our, our own church. Everybody lives, but life remains as mystery. Poets, philosophers, scientists want to find out about life. What does it mean to live, um, live a life that is worthwhile? Uh, what does it mean to live it well? And I think that's very important so today, we're going to take some time to think about that. What, what does the Bible have to say about it and uh, what it means to live a life to its fullest? We call that abundant life. What does that mean? You know, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, before I go on, uh, Leo Tolstoy, a Russian novelist, in his, one of his uh, short novels, he quote, quotes this uh, Asian proverb story, little story. Life is like a man taking a walk in the woods and suddenly was chased by a beast. And to um, save his life, he's run for his life and, and found a little hole, well, dry well, uh, on the ground. He just jumps in it. And while he was falling, he noticed there was a poisonous snake at the bottom of it. So he clings to the... Um, a vine that was growing along the wall. And, and he clings for his life, and only to notice uh, two mice, one black and one white mice, gnawing at the vine. So the time is ticking. And in this precarious situation, one chased by a beast, and, and the, there's a poisonous snake at the bottom of the pit, and and holding on to this vine for his life that is being gnawed by uh, white and black my, mice, he notices a honeycomb in, on the wall. And he stretches out his finger to taste the honey. And he says, that's life. One, we are chased by death, and after that, there's judgment waiting for us down there. And we are holding on to this vine that's your life and time. Black and white mice is day and night. It's tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. And we are, we are holding on to that vine. And yet, in this precarious situation, we are also distracted by pleasures of life. This taste of honey. And that's our life, he says. And so Jesus says this. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? This is a very, very important question. Especially young people, as you are building your life, 
and laying the foundation and to live it well? And this is a very important question for you to ask and answer. And the word uh, here, uh, you know, what, what good would it be? The good is what profit is there? Net profit is talking about what profit is there if a man forfeits his own soul? The soul, the word is in Greek, suke. That's where we get psychology. Uh, this is your main ego, your real you. Which means if you lose your real you, what profit is there if you gain the whole world? It's a very important question. The, the, the question you must answer then, what is or who is real you? Because without knowing that, you will not have a happy life or abundant life. And many of us have been told what good life is. In fact, somebody said this, up to our 20s and 30s, we are living somebody else's life, somebody else's expectation. And therefore, a lot of young people are frustrated and depressed even because no matter how successful they are, no matter what their income is, no matter how they feel important they are, they feel like they're living somebody else's life. They feel like they lost a soul, their soul. They're living somebody else's dream rather than themselves. There's a frustration and depression comes as a result of it. That's why this generation, more educated, more provided, for than any other uh, generation, insulated from all kinds of disease and calamities in life, and yet we are the most depressed, that's clinically depressed, generation than ever before. Because we feel like we gained the whole world, and yet we are not ourselves, truly. That's where the, the problem is. Now, once you become someone else in pursuit of your happiness, then you realize that you are not happy because you have become fake. And there's a lot of confusion about what is real anymore because there are so many things you know, uh, I know an elder uh, who has, uh, I don't know, created or invented Nike symbol. It's a Korean elder, if you don't know yet. All right, this Nike symbol, uh, he makes a lot of money out of it, uh, you know. But his contract was not that good, so he's not making all the money he should be making, but he's making enough. So he actually, uh, on top of that, he had this Nike golf, uh, golf uh, glove business. And uh, he was making that out of China. And um, one day he was walking around, and, and uh, he found a vendor who was selling this fake golf you know, gloves, Nike golf gloves on that. And, and he, he picked it up, and he tried it, and he, 
he said, this is better than mine. <laughs> and it's like half of the price. You know what he did? He came, to, came back to the United States. He closed that business. The fake is better than the real. How can you compete? Right? So he, he closed the business, uh, and, but he still got the, you know, the, the copyrights and, and things like that. And he's really into uh, missions and all that. I, I, you know, I'll talk about that later if I can. But sometimes fake is better, we feel like, in our life. So a lot of people put up a front, a projection of themselves that's not real. And they spend awful lot of energy and resources to keep that facade, that front. But after keeping us for a while, we become tired and fatigued. And after that, that's why people in their 40s and, and going to 50s, they're looking for something legit, authentic, genuine, something real me, because they feel tired of keeping up the front. Until then, you don't know what happiness is. You have to discover once again who you really are, how God has created you to be, and, and, and be comfortable in your own skin. Then you can pursue real happiness. There are, you know, all folk tales like Faust or the Daniel Webster and the devil selling themselves to get something that's supposed to give you happiness and fulfillment in life, and yet that never comes. So here, this is why Victor Hugo said this, the greatest happiness in life is the conviction that we are loved, loved for ourselves, or rather loved in spite of ourselves. And that's where life is. Harvard study, the longest running study of Harvard study, what makes human being happy? Is they found it. It's not the money, it's not the power, it's not the fame, it's not the comfort, it's not the convenience, it's not the achievement. The greatest single element that makes people happy is lasting relationship. More precisely, loving relationship. That's what makes us happy and fulfilled. And that's what the scripture is talking about, of our life. That we are created to be loved by our creator. And especially in spite of ourselves. Not only for our own, own selves, but even in spite of ourselves, we are created to be loved. And to feel that love and to live in that love, that's what we are created to be. That's where the happiness and fulfillment and greatest joy comes from. So then how come people miss this out? What is, what is you know, what is the cause of all this? It's, in, it's a theological language called sin. That separates us from God. You see, 
a Western society somehow mixed the use of this language, sin, as a moral language. It's never meant to be moral language. I lied, because, you know, I sinned because I lied, and all that. That's not what actually it means. Sin means separated from God. Living a life as though God doesn't exist or God doesn't matter is sin. The stealing, killing, and all that is a manifestation of that, that life that is separate from God. Living a life as though God doesn't matter or God doesn't exist. That's what it is. And so a lot of people going around and scratching their heads, I, I don't feel like I'm a sinner. I, I didn't kill anybody. That's the, usually the question. Uh, since when our threshold of sin is so low, so you have to kill somebody to be a sinner, right? But that's no, normally the good thing. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal anybody. No, the sin means we are living our life as though God doesn't matter. And, and that's precisely the problem of human history from beginning up to now. You know, we, we, we define freedom as freedom from God. We don't have to worry about this God. There's no moral code. You can do whatever you want to do. And all that, we define that as freedom. But that's, that's actually the def definition of sin. And, but we live like that. And that's why no matter how hard you labor, no matter how hard you try to serve and do good things, there's no joy at the end. There's no satisfaction. Because we are created to fulfill one purpose. That is to love God and to be loved by God. It's that simple. Life becomes that simple. In this simplicity, we have joy and strength. And that's why, um, you know, our life is needlessly complicated these days. So, let's go back. We are created to be loved by God. And yet, most of us don't feel love from God. That has much to do with sin. That is, living a life as though God doesn't exist or God matters. People can come church and go, doesn't matter. But in their day-to-day -day decision, they don't live their life in front of God. That's why there's emptiness, a lack of joy. No matter what you experience, some people go to retreat and experience incredible things and come back, and that, that joy, that the ecstasy, if you want to call that, lasts only a week or two because there's no consistency. Their life is not built upon this fact that we live before God and, and we are to be nurtured, nourished by love of God. And so here, a lot of things in life can be answered very simply because... God said, he is love. And he has loved us in the scripture. Uh, Jeremiah 31 says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
I have drawn you near with a loving kindness. This is what you and I need in day-to-day life. To be happy, to be fulfilled, to have a confidence, to overcome challenges in life. And so, this love, this love is not the love that world is speaking about, obviously. And, and Jesus says this, this love is boundless. And he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. If you just love that's near you, your family, your church, and all that, what good is that? Right? That's not really love. Love goes far beyond that, just like the love you have received from God. Now, here's one caveat. Unless you receive that love, unless you experience that boundless love, you cannot love in this way. A lot of people think Christianity is something like, you know, you understand some of the dogmas and you mentally consent, you, you agree, and then you become a believer. That's, that's never the case. Scripture doesn't know such thing. In fact, our faith has been experienced. We have to love, we have to receive love of God. And you need to experience that love, that boundless love, in order to love not only God, but anyone else in your life. Then you will have a life, true life, happy life, fulfilled life. You know, um, in our church, uh, there are 10 elders right now, and, uh, you know, um, many of them are, are moving on. Some are going to missions and, and things like that. And, um, you know, uh, we began a long time ago. We, we, I think we are like 22 years old now as a church, and most of them stay with me all this time. And they experience things, different things in life. And now they're realizing the whole lot of things they haven't experienced. All the things that we talked about and all that. And now they're willing to let go and truly live that. And I praise the Lord for it because our elders, most of, uh, uh, at least three of them, had severe pay cut um, to serve at the church. So one of them got about one-third pay cut because he was traveling all the time and he, you know, changed his job and, and come. One actually was working here during the week and then come down Southern California and back and forth and back and forth like that. And he couldn't get involved with the rest of church life during the week. And I told him, I said, maybe you should, um, you know, step down from eldership and, uh, you know, do whatever. And he said, no, uh, I think... I'm going to quit my job in order to serve. So he was working at Apple. Uh, he's one of those guys, Apple Watch, one of the top ones. And uh, he said, okay, I'm going to quit. He came down. Didn't find a job for a while. And finally found a job and with a severe pay cut. And now one of the elders, uh, you know, orthodontist, 
Uh, and he built up his uh, practice up to this point, and now he's only 54, so he can really now make some money and all that. And he sold that in order to serve the Lord in Coban, Guatemala. Right? Moving on. They said they found real love. They found that, that now they experience so much love by giving it, laying it at the feet of Jesus. They can really live this life to the fullest. Money is not the driving force. Fame is not the driving force. Security is not the driving force. Who said life's supposed to be safe and secure? Life, we need to take proper risks in order to achieve what God has designed for us. They're happy. Let me tell you one more about that. One guy who used to work here, and, and uh, he made a decision to come down, uh, you know, quit Apple, um, and come down and, and uh, got a severe pay cut. Within a month, he had a stroke. In fact, he was walking up the staircase, and his wife was right behind him, and she noticed that he was moving a little differently, and she called 911 immediately and took him to hospital, which saved his life as one of the massive ones. If he stayed here, he stayed, you know, he works like 12 hours a day, then if it happened by himself, he'd be gone by now. So he's so grateful for the decision that he made and, and his wife who saved his life. What I'm trying to tell you is that the things that we pursue after many times do not yield its fruit. Therefore, it is more important to ask what this life is all about and, and how we ought to live to fulfill its purpose and to get the most out of it and to live it well. Most of you, I, I gather, is high achievers. You try to get as much as possible out of life. And which is good. I think it's a good drive. And, and to understand what life, how this life is designed to be will help us to live in that way. And you'll be surprised, not many people think about it this way, and not many people reflect upon life, and therefore to chart their life in proper way to experience God's love and God's provision upon their life. Bible says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we are not lovable or acceptable in spite of us God has demonstrated his love toward us we must experience this this love this overwhelming love so that we can also reciprocate that in our own life this is not something that you can intellectually process and to cop you know, to perform. You cannot do that. This is something that has to be felt. 
experience in life so that you can actually live in this incredible provision of God. Brothers and sisters, we are created to be loved by God and to love Him back and to love one another in such a way. And when we only, when we do that, we can be happy, we can be fulfilled. And that's what church is about, to show that, that we can come together with a various background and come together and create a community that really loves and serves. And to respect one another and to be connected in that way. One of the things that I really love about, uh, love about our church right now is something called Open Corner. Um, we have this halfway house. We have two houses, and we have like 20-some people. And these are brothers um, who's been incarcerated, and as a result, homeless, homelessness and all that. And they're coming together. And um, what this ministry does is to uh, get them off the drug and, uh, you know, get them off the probation and uh, get them driver's license back and, and get them back into life and find a job and all that. And the only thing they are required to do is they, they go through uh, our, our you know, daily agenda from morning prayer to all the way through. And uh, Saturday, Friday, uh, prayer meetings, and Sunday. And, um, you know, it's an exciting ministry. And people come to know Christ, finally. And, and some of them, you know, with the anger, anchor bracelet, uh, they are baptized with that. We, we have a full immersion, you know, and, and they come and say, should I get an electric shock out of this thing? And, you know, that kind of thing. It's exciting, exciting questions, you know, like, uh, it's, not a, it's not a mundane church, you know, it's like, it's, you know, real questions here, right? And the thing is, uh, we also have a lot of professionals in our church. A lot of, you know, uh, medical doctors and the lawyers and you know, professors and all that. Exciting thing is, they become one. They talk to one another and they, you know, invite each other. They embrace them. They come alive. And open corner guys experience something they have never experienced before. And, and these guys, so-called professionally successful people, an experience never they have experienced before. They're discovering life like never before. They love one another. I was afraid that this would create some kind of, you know, kind of division in our church. But there's an incredible camaraderie, and that we know that we are created to love, even in spite of ourselves, Right? We have, we have one brother uh, who, is, who has an NGO um, of a gang prevention. He himself was a gang member, and, and uh, now he has about 120 staff under him. It's a humongous ministry, and sometimes we have guys with a face tattoos and all that show up in our church. We thought that he's going to freak out everybody. No. People come talk about their tattoos, you know? And, and you know what? And many of them going through tattoo removal. Do you know it's more painful to remove tattoo than putting on a tattoo? 
So laser, you know, treatment, and they have to do like 50 times to get the color back. And these gangsters cry because it's so painful, you know? And, and they come and share that with people. And you talk about tattoos that you have never knew before and things like that. And with, with this, like, people have no background of such. And they come and enjoy one another and really serve one another. They're standing side to side in a food pantry and they're giving out food together. They're joking together. They go out to eat together. The life is enriched. The people who live in this bubble and they break out of the bubble. They've been told all their life, you need to be secure, provided for, you need to be successful, you need to be all this. Having achieved all that, they felt the emptiness in their soul. They feel like they have become fake. Now they're finding real self. Through these people, they are resetting their life and starting anew. And these people who have gone through so much and made the wrong choices and bad choices in their life, now they come and they are loved by people so-called successful, supposed to be oppressors, but they are the ones who are loving, covering them, picking them up. This is a new community. Because why? People being loved by the Lord in spite of themselves. Why we are yet sinners. It's not hypothesis. It's not dogma. It has to be lived. Objective truth never change anybody. It has, to be, it has become a subjective experience for you to live that in your life. So, our faith is exciting faith. It, it changes us from inside out and experience things that we have never experienced before. You know, I, I take people to different parts of the world, the missions. I've been given privilege uh, to do mission last 35 years plus. Been to places like normal people don't go to, like Siberia in the, in the middle of winter. That's kind of crazy, you know. But I've seen people in Siberia, and as well as Micronesia or wherever else we go, people are people. Our needs, our dream, our fear are same. It's packaged differently, little different context, but what we feel inside is all same. And, and because of this, this, I understand the power of this gospel that God has created us out of abundant love. And that each and every one of us will blossom like flower under the sun. And yet, this terrible sin, this misbelief that causes us to live a life like a hamster in a wheel. And I see so many young people give up their youth, give up their dreams, and give up themselves and chase after this only to see their lives become wrecked 
and they use up their youth, and when they discover sickness in their 40s and 50s, they're undone and broken too many times. Life is a gift. And because of this gift, we live in this, you know, with an exciting dream and ambition in the Lord. Because the scripture says this, for by grace we've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. And no one can boast because we have none of our input into it. But the thing is this, uh, it goes next verse, we are God's craftsmanship, master craft, to do good works which he provided beforehand. In other words, your salvation has a purpose. You are not saved and you, you cast your vision or envision your life and this and this and that, but God had in mind and in mind before you are saved, God already prepared these good works for you to do and fulfill. Unless you fulfill this, there is no obviously contentment or satisfaction or happiness in your life. But we've been told that we can chart our ways whatever that is wrong. Bible says very clearly, God has provided way. And, and, and when, you, when you walk in this, he says, you got to walk in this thing, that good work that have, God has created for you. When you walk in this thing, that you become the master craft, the craft, the work, the masterpiece. And many of us never experience this masterpiece, the craftsmanship, because we are not walking on the path of provision that God has provided for us to begin with. Have absolutely no idea what this is and don't care. Once again, if we go back to the definition of sin, you're living your life as if God doesn't exist or God's will matter in your life. That's why so many uh, believers who are in church are still living in sin because they, are, they have absolutely no idea or don't care about the good works God has prepared before you. Brothers and sisters, your true happiness lies in fulfilling God's purpose. Because you've been loved by God with this in, indescribable love. And now, as we reciprocate that, as we love him back and love others around us, and finding that, that path, that provision, that work that God has prepared, as you fulfill them, that you live as a masterpiece of God. The word masterpiece is a poem. Song, you become God's song. That's what it means. And so my challenge for you today is ask this question. Has there been a time that I've been so overwhelmed by the love of God? 
It's not, it's not just your mental exercise. But have I experienced that in my life and soul? Right? Have I been immersed in his love? Beyond convincing, have I been? Do I have this, this desire or ability to love back? Have I found this, this work God has prepared before me? Am I walking in it or am I moving toward it? And so one elder I was talking about, an uh, orthodontist and his wife is dentist, and they came back to me and said, I don't think our life will be complete without doing this. Because I've been asking, are you sure you want to do this? You know? I said, yeah. I think this is something that we must do. I think we become happy and content when you realize, for this reason, I was born. And this couple certainly did. It's like, I feel like, you know, when I was entering into ministry, I cannot imagine myself doing anything else but this. This is my calling. And this couple, having served the church so faithfully all this time, and come to this realization, this is it. I mean, they've been all over the world with me, or with, even without me. You know, doing serving and doing things all over the place. Now they are focusing on. And we want to live this life. And this is what we call convergence, right, in our language. That your passion, your gifting, your family background, education background, acquire skill, life experiences, and all that come to one single point, And you realize, for this reason I was born. Right? And, and they found it. Finally, and they're walking in it. And brothers and sisters, some of you are in your 20s and 30s, maybe 40s, maybe, or beyond even. And you're coming to that point. Is your life, you know, set up in such a way that your trajectory will lead you to that convergence for this reason I was born and, and to walk in that thing? to experience the love of God in a higher level and fulfill that purpose? Or are you still naive, thinking having more things will make you happy? You have a better look or, you know, uh, more gadgets or stuff will make you happy? If you are so naive, you'll be very, very disappointed. Life is about love. Because we are created in that way. We crave this love. And we are looking for it in wrong places. But God shows us very well. He's the one who loves us. Even in spite of us. And when you, when you accept that, and Lord, I want this love to overwhelm me. To the point that I cannot Resist, but love you back and love others in this way. I want to live in a different level. I don't want to just go around and chase this thing like hamster and find that it is not true. 
Life is interesting, you know? But life can be very simple. You know, uh, Nietzsche, uh, the German philosopher who said God is dead, he actually said this. You know why he said God is dead? He said, because he cannot find any Christians who do long obedience in the same direction. And I want you to think about that. Nietzsche come to conclusion that God is dead because he couldn't find any follower of God, a worshiper of God, who lives in life in a long obedience in the same direction. That's an indictment. That's how flippant our faith is. That's why long obedience in the same direction will lead you into this happiness that God has created for us. And that today, um, I want you to experience, or at least orient yourself toward that. And as uh, Pastor Ulysses said, if, if you don't identify yourself as a Christian yet, well, praise the Lord. I want you to consider what we talk about. Because in this life, only one thing will make you happy. That's love, loving relationship. And God has already demonstrated his love through his son, Jesus Christ. And in that, while we are yet sinners, in that, while we are yet unlovable, he died for us. To demonstrate true love, true value of life. And, and you, you want to accept that. And, and you want to... You know, you want him to be your Lord and Savior by simple prayer. When you do that, you become a child of God. And ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that what we talk about becomes reality in your life. And on, as I said before, this is not men, mental consent. That's not faith. Bible, Bible never calls mental consent as faith. You need to experience it. Believe it to the point you pursue it to experience it. For some of you, it will take some time. But some of you will happen right away. And when you do that, then you feel that love and the experience of God. Then you are set up for the trajectory of happiness and fulfillment that God has provided for you. If you don't go through this path, no matter how many times you go around the circle, you are not going to experience it. And that's something that we, are, we must understand. You know, um, one time, um, I share this quite often, so I don't know, some of you might have heard it. Uh, there was a couple in our church at the beginning of our church uh, life, and uh, they've been missing our you know, program all the time, Bible study, or in a prayer meeting and sometimes Sunday service and all that. So I call them up and say, hey, what's going on? You know, I mean, why are you so busy? And well, you know, pastor, you don't understand. You're trying to buy a house and, uh, you know, it's so expensive and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I said, I know. Yeah, but back then it wasn't not that bad, right? So I said, you know, uh, you can buy a house in such, such place. And said, pastor, you don't, 
that doesn't have a good school district, you know, uh, we got to f- buy a house in a good school district. And they didn't even have a child. So I said, why? And I said, well, you know, we're going to eventually have a child, so we, we don't want to move around. So, we, we, you know, we got to buy a house in a certain house. So, so since we are talking about hypotheses, I said, well, so let's say your kids go to good school. What happens after that? And their face was blank and looking at me like an idiot and said, well, they go to good college. So while we are at it, I was not going to play with their mind. So, I, so, so they go to good college. What happens there? I said, well, they get a good job. Okay. So they get a good job. So what happens? Well, they find somebody good and get married. Okay. After that, they have to buy a house in good school district. <laughs> So I said this, thank you very much. You just told me the meaning of life. Good school district. <laughs> and, and he was laughing afterwards. Unfortunately, unfortunately, they left our church um, a long time ago, and they divorced. Their kids were preteens at that time. Supposedly, they wanted to make their children successful. They did the most harmful thing they could do to their children. Life doesn't pan out like what we plan. Life throws curveballs. Our church, we have a lot of people, young people have cancer, fourth stage cancer. Some get healed, some. Don't. Life throws curveball in many different ways. It's not stackable Legos. The God of this universe has created you uniquely to blossom, to fulfill, to receive His abundant love, to become His song. And you can be happy, fulfilled. His way, not our way. That's the wisdom in life. He's called Lord because he's Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are a believer already, you are a Christian, pray to God that God will soften your heart with his everlasting love, the loving kindness. It becomes reality in your life, something that is tangible in your life so that you can love people with the same kind of love. And your life will be in a different level. You'll be surrounded with people in relationship. That will bring you contentment, satisfaction, and happiness. You'll fulfill God's purpose. Only by doing so, you'll find the meaning and significance of life. 
all of which God has provided for you to experience. It is foolishness not to pursue after this. But the sin, you know, robs us from this joy, that happiness, that fulfillment, because it tells us a lie saying that apart from God, you will be happy. So therefore, living your life before God, in front of God, and be mindful of who he is in every moment of your life is a blessing. And through which you can receive that love and happiness. A lot of people think they project God to the image of their earthly fathers. Once I remember... Uh, I was preaching about forgiveness in, in a college Bible study, and uh, one uh, alumni, uh, alumnus uh, dropped in, and uh, the three-piece suit, and a very successful, you know, like Wall Street type of lawyer. And um, when and I, I, you know, I taught about forgiveness, and especially forgiving our, our parents and stuff, and if they need to, and after the sermon, he got really visibly upset, red face and all that, and, and um, came and already confronted me. And, and he says, how dare you say things like that? You don't know what I went through. And uh, he told me about his story, and I don't have time to go through all that. And indeed, um, he was made small. He was rejected by his father, shamed. No physical abuse, no, nothing like that, but made feel like there's nothing many times over. So I asked him, how long are you going to hold this emotion? How long are you going to be bound as a prisoner of this unforgiveness in your life? This has been hurting you over and over and over again. How long are you going to let this thing hurt you? And, and you know, he broke down and we prayed and we ministered over him and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of people think they're Christians, think they love God, but because of the image God the Father, as the earthly father, projected, juxtaposing them together, and there's a, the limit they cannot go across. And they always feel like God is judging them and God is trying to find any fault in their life, always. And that's why their relationship with God is not, uh, you know, growing or, or, or feeling that love of God. They're always distant, cold, judgmental, finding faults in everything. And so when, when that was broken, he was set free. And brothers and sisters, today, there are some things that rob you from experiencing God's love. Some things there that's tripping you over in this. And we're going to overcome that. And truly live as it's supposed to be. And what God has designed it to be. 
and restore that. That's our duty and responsibility. So today, let's spend some time in prayer. If the uh, band is ready, uh, just come on up a little bit, ready to minister to us. But if you can bow your head and think about what I've been saying, saying a lot, um, ask this simple question. Have you experienced this powerful love of Father in your life? Is there any distance somehow? You don't feel that intimacy with the Father, God? And what is that? What's getting in the way? What has the enemy laid in your life that is robbing you from experiencing the incredible love of the Father the Bible is talking about? If there's any sin in your life, this is a good time to just you know, repent before God and get over with. Don't let that thing keep on hurt, hurting you over and over again. And if you are, no, if you're not a believer yet, would you consider what I said? And if you want, just under your breath, say a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. And I know that that essence of sin, that orientation and attitude, that can be wiped away by wishes, only by the righteousness of Jesus that is accomplished on that cross. I know my righteousness is not good enough to be accepted by God. Only the righteousness of Jesus that covers me. So Lord, come into my life and forgive my sin that I may become your child. Send your Holy Spirit in my life so that I may experience what we are talking about. The love of the Father be released in my life right now, even now. And even the things, the smallest things that hold me back from experiencing this incredible love of God, especially that of forgiveness, release that upon me, that I may forgive and let them go, that I may be truly free. Pray that sincerely the Lord will receive you as a child of God. Yeah, now you're in the right trajectory. Now you can actually experience, you have a potential to experience the abundant life the Bible is talking about. If you are a believer already and yet you feel so distant from God, and feel there is some block that you cannot go over. Maybe it's some kind of vice, sin. Maybe it's just mental block. Maybe it's a spiritual warfare. 
pray in Jesus' name to be gone, that you overcome and you experience what we believe. That you become a child of God, filled with His Holy Spirit, to do the works that He has called you to, call you to do, and to be. May the Lord bless you in that. Release His Spirit upon you right now. Father God, we thank you for your love. Be merciful upon us. And Lord God, there are many in different stages of our faith, many who desire to be fulfilled and happy in you, and yet it seems so far away. We pray they remove any obstacles. And Father God, so that we may experience you and walk in your path. And Father God, there are some you are releasing right now what they must do, what they are called to be. And Father God, I pray, cement that in their lives, Lord God, that they may make the right choices and decisions along that path. And so that, Lord God, that you lead, lead them into the abundant life you have promised. And Father God, bless this renewal church. This will be a place people's lives be renewed, their soul be fulfilled. And Father God, I pray that you, you will just uh, recreate in us the image of God. And Father God, may you be glorified as a result. Father God, minister upon us, Lord God, this morning that we may pursue after one thing, the love of God, and to live in that love and to, to love according to your words. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.